Chapter Two, Part Two of the Indian Fairy Book. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. The Indian Fairy Book by Henry R. Schoolcraft. Chapter Two, Manabozho the Mischief Maker. Part Two. By way of relief to these grand doings, Manabozho was disposed to vary his experiences by bestowing a little time upon the sports of the woods. He had heard reported great feats in hunting, and he had a desire to try his power in that way. Besides that, it was a slight consideration that he had devoured all the game within reach of the lodge. And so one evening, while walking along the shores of the great lake, weary and hungry, he was quite delighted to encounter a great magician in the form of an old wolf with six young ones. The wolf no sooner caught sight of him than he told his whelps, who were close about his side, to keep out of the way of Manabozho. For I know, he said, that it is that mischievous fellow whom we see yonder. The young wolves were in the act of running off when Manabozho cried out, My grandchildren, where are you going? Stop, and I will go with you. I wish to have a little chat with your excellent father saying which he advanced and greeted the old wolf expressing himself pleased at seeing him looking so well whither do you journey he asked we are looking for a good hunting ground to pass the winter the old wolf answered what brings you here i was looking for you said manabozho for i have a passion for the chase brother i always admired your family are you willing to change me into a wolf the wolf gave him a favorable answer and he was forthwith changed into a wolf well that will do said manabozho then looking at his tail he added oh could you oblige me by making my tail just a little longer and more bushy please certainly said the old wolf and he gave manabozho such a length and spread of tail that it was constantly getting between his legs and it was so heavy that it was as much as he could do to find the strength to carry it but having asked for it he was ashamed to say a word and they all started off in company dashing up a ravine after getting into the woods for some distance, they fell in with the tracks of a moose. The young ones scampered off in pursuit, the old wolf and Manabozho following at their leisure. Well, said the old wolf, by way of opening discourse, who do you think is the fastest of the boys? Can you tell by the jumps they take? Why, Manabozho replied, that one takes such long jumps he is the fastest to be sure. Ha, ha, you are mistaken, said the old wolf. He makes a good start, but he will be the first to tire out. This one, who appears to be behind, will be the one to kill the game. By this time they had come to the spot where the boys had started in chase. One had dropped what seemed to be a small medicine sack, which he carried for the use of the hunting party. Take that, Manabozho, said the old Take that, Manabozho, said the old wolf. Asa, he replied, what will I do with a dirty dogskin? The old wolf took it up. It was a beautiful robe. Oh, I will carry it now, cried Manabozho. Oh, no, said the old wolf, who had exerted his magical powers. It is a robe of pearls. Come along. And away sped the old wolf at a great rate of speed. Not so fast, called Manabozho after him, and then he added to himself as he panted after, Oh, this tail! Coming to a place where the moose had lain down, they saw that the young wolves had made a fresh start after their prey. Why, said the old man, this moose is poor. I know by the tracks. In that way I can always tell whether they are fat or not. A little further on, one of the young wolves, in dashing at the moose, had broken a tooth on a tree. 
Manabozho, said the old wolf, one of your grandchildren has shot at the game. Take his arrow. There it is. No, replied Manabozho, what will I do with a dirty dog's tooth? The old wolf took it up, and behold, it was a beautiful silver arrow. When they at last overtook them, they found that the youngsters had killed a very fat moose. Manabozho was exceedingly hungry, but the old wolf just then again exerted his magical powers, and Manabozho saw nothing but the bones picked quite clean. He thought to himself, just as I expected, dirty, greedy fellows, if it had not been for this log at my back, I should have been in time to have got a mouthful. And he cursed the bushy tail which he carried to the bottom of his heart. He, however, sat down without saying a word. At length the old wolf spoke to one of the young ones, saying, Give some meat to your grandfather. One of them obeyed, and coming near to Manabozho, he presented him the other end of his own bushy tail, which was nicely seasoned with burrs gathered in the course of the hunt. Manabozho jumped and called out, You dog, now that your stomach is full, do you think I am going to eat you to get at my dinner? Get you gone into some other place. Saying which, Manabozho, in his anger, walked off by himself. Come back, brother, cried the wolf, you are losing your eyes. Manabozho turned back. You do the child injustice. Look there. And behold, a heap of fresh ruddy meat was lying on the spot already prepared. Manabozho, at the view of so much good provision, put on a smiling face. Amazement, he said, how fine the meat is. Yes, replied the old wolf, it is always so with us. We know our work and always get the best. It is not a long tail that makes the hunter. Manabozho hit his lip. They now fixed their winter quarters. The youngsters went out in search of game, and soon they brought in a large supply. One day, during the absence of the young hunters, the old wolf amused himself in cracking the large bones of a moose. Manabozho, said he, cover your head with the robe, and do not look at me while I am busy with these bones, for a piece may fly in your eye. Manabozho did as he was bid, but looking through a rent in the robe, he saw what the other was about. Just at that moment a piece flew off and hit him on the eye. He cried out, Tayu, why do you strike me, you old dog? The wolf answered, You must have been looking at me. No, no, retorted Manabozho, why should I want to look at you? Manabozho, said the old wolf, you must have been looking, or you would not have got hurt. No, no, he replied, I was not. But he thought to himself, I will repay the saucy wolf this mischief. So the next day, taking up a bone to obtain the marrow, he said to the wolf, Brother, cover your head and do not look at me, for I very much fear a piece may fly in your eye. The wolf did so, and Manabozho, taking the large leg-bone of the moose, first looking to see if the wolf was well covered, hit him a blow with all his might. The wolf jumped up, cried out, and fell prostrate from the effects of the blow. Why, said he, when he came to a little and was able to sit up, why did you strike me so? Strike you, said Manabozho, with well-feigned surprise. No, you must have been looking at me. No, answered the wolf, I say I have not. But Manabozho insisted, and as the old wolf was no great master of tricky argument, he was obliged to give it up. Shortly after this, the old wolf suggested to Manabozho that he should go out and try his luck in hunting by himself. When he chose to put his mind upon it, Manabozho was quite expert, and this time he succeeded in killing a fine, fat moose, which he thought he would take aside slyly and devour alone, having prepared to tell the old wolf a pretty story on his return, to account for his failure to bring anything with him. 
he was very hungry and he sat down to eat but as he never could go to work in a straightforward way he immediately fell into great doubts as to the proper point at which to begin well said he i do not know where to commence at the head no people will laugh and say he ate him backward he went to the side no said he they will say i ate him sideways he then went to the hind quarter no that will not do either they will say i ate him forward i will begin here say what they will he took a delicate piece from the small of the back and was just on the point of putting it to his mouth when a tree close by made a creaking noise he seemed vexed at the sound he raised the morsel to his mouth the second time when the tree creaked again why he exclaimed i cannot eat when i hear such a noise stop stop he said to the tree he put the meat down exclaiming i cannot eat with such a noise and starting away he climbed the tree and was pulling at the limb which had offended him when his forepaw was caught between the branches so that he could not free himself while thus held fast he saw a pack of wolves advancing through the wood in the direction of his meat he suspected them to be the old wolf and his cubs but night was coming on and he could not make them out go the other way go the other way he cried out what would you come to get here the wolf stopped for a while and talked amongst herselves and said manaboso must have something there or he would not tell us to go another way i begin to know him said the old wolf and all his tricks let us go forward and see they came on and finding the moose they soon made away with it manaboso looked wistfully on to see them eat till they were fully satisfied when they scampered off in high spirits a heavy blast of wind opened the branches and released Manabozho, who found that the wolves had left nothing but the bare bones. He made for home, where, when he related his mishap, the old wolf took him by the forepaw and condoled with him deeply on his ill luck. A tear even started to his eye as he said, My brother, this should teach us not to meddle with points of ceremony when we have good meat to eat. On a bright morning in the early spring, the winter, having by this time drawn fairly to a close, the old wolf addressed Manabozho, My brother, I am obliged to leave you, and although I have sometimes been merry at your expense, I will show that I care for your comfort. I shall leave one of the boys behind me to be your hunter and to keep you company through the long summer afternoons. The old wolf galloped off with his five young ones, and as they disappeared from view, Manabozho was disenchanted in a moment and returned to his mortal shape. Although he had been sometimes vexed and imposed upon, he had, altogether, passed a pleasant winter with the cunning old wolf, and now that he was gone, Manabozho was downcast and low in spirit. But as the days grew brighter, he recovered by degrees his air of cheerful confidence and was ready to try his hand upon any new adventure that might occur to him. The old spirit of mischief was still alive within him. The young wolf who had been left with him was a good hunter and never failed to keep the lodge well supplied with meat. One day Manabozho addressed him as follows. My grandson, I had a dream last night, and it does not portend good. It is of the large lake which lies in that direction. You must be careful always to go across it, whether the ice seems strong or not. Never go around it, for there are enemies on the furthest shore who lie in wait for you. The ice is always safe. Now, Manabozho knew well that the ice was thinning every day under the warm sun, but he could not stay himself from playing a trick upon the young wolf. In the evening, when he came to the lake after a long day's travel in quest of game, the young wolf, confiding to his grandfather, said, Whew! The ice does look thin, but Nesho says it is sound, and he trotted upon the glassy plain. 
He had not got halfway across when the ice snapped, and with a mournful cry the young wolf fell in and was immediately seized by the water serpents. They knew that it was Manabozho's grandson, and were thirsting for revenge upon him for the death of their relations in the war upon Pearl Feather. Manabozho heard the young wolf's cry as he sat in his lodge. He knew what had happened, and from that moment he was deprived of the greater part of his magical power. He returned scarcely more than an ordinary mortal to his former place of dwelling, whence his grandmother had departed no one knew whither. He married the arrow-maker's daughter, and became the father of several children, and very poor. He was scarcely able to procure the means of living. His lodge was pitched in a remote part of the country where he could get no game. It was winter, and he had not the common comforts of life. He said to his wife one day, I will go out a-walking and see if I cannot find some lodges. After walking some time he saw a lodge at the distance. The children were playing at the door. When they saw him approaching they ran in and told their parents that Manabozho was coming. It was the residence of the large red-headed woodpecker. He came to the door and asked Manabozho to enter. This invitation was promptly accepted. After some time the woodpecker, who was a magician, said to his wife, "'Have you nothing to give Manabozho? He must be hungry.' She answered, "'No.' He ought not to go without his supper, said the woodpecker. I will see what I can do. In the center of the lodge stood a large tamarack tree. Upon this the woodpecker flew and commenced going up, turning his head on each side of the tree and every now and then driving in his bill. At last he pulled something out of the tree and threw it down, when, behold, a fine fat raccoon lay on the ground. He drew out six or seven more. Then he descended and told his wife to prepare them. Manabozho, he said, this is the only thing we eat. What else can we give you? It is very good, replied Manabozho. They smoked their pipes and conversed with each other. After eating, Manabozho got ready to go home. Then the woodpecker said to his wife, give him the other raccoons to take home for his children. In the act of leaving the lodge, Manabozho, on purpose, dropped one of his mittens, which was soon after observed upon the ground. Run, said the woodpecker to his eldest son, and give it to him. But mind that you do not give it into his hand. Throw it at him, for there is no knowing him. He acts so curiously. The boy did as he was directed. Grandfather, he said to Manabozho as he came up to him, you have left one of your mittens. Here it is. Yes, he said, affecting to be ignorant of the circumstance. It is so. But don't throw it. You will soil it on the snow. The lad, however, threw it and was about to return when Manabozho cried out, Baka, Baka! stop stop is that all you eat do you eat nothing else with your raccoon tell me yes that is all answered the young woodpecker we have nothing else tell your father continued manubozho to come and visit me and let him bring a sack i will give him what he shall eat with his raccoon meat when the young one returned and reported this message to his father the old woodpecker turned up his nose at the invitation i wonder he said what he thinks he has got poor fellow he was bound, however, to answer the proffer of hospitality, so he went accordingly to pay a visit to Manabozho, taking along a cedar sack. Manabozho received the old red-headed woodpecker with great ceremony. He had stood at the door awaiting his arrival, and as soon as he came in sight, Manabozho commenced, while he was yet far off, bowing and opening wide his arms in token of welcome, all of which the woodpecker returned in due form by ducking his bill and hopping to right and left upon the ground, extending his wings to their full length and fluttering them back to his breast. When the woodpecker at last reached the lodge, Manabozho made various remarks upon the weather, the appearance of the country, and especially on the scarcity of game. But we, he added, we always have enough. 
Come in, and you shall not go away hungry, my noble bird. Manoboso had always prided himself on being able to give as good as he received, and to be up with the woodpecker he had shifted his lodge so as to enclose a large dry tamarack tree. What can I give you? said he to the woodpecker. But as we eat, so shall you eat. With this, Manoboso hopped forward, and jumping on the tamarack tree, attempted to climb it just as he had seen the woodpecker do in his own lodge. He turned his head first on one side, then on the other, in the manner of the bird, meanwhile striving to go up, and as often slipping down. Ever and anon he would strike the tree with his nose, as if it had been a bill, and draw back. But he pulled out no raccoons, and he dashed his nose so often against the trunk, that at last the blood began to flow, and he tumbled senseless down upon the ground. The woodpecker started up with his drum and rattle, and by beating them violently he succeeded in bringing him to. As soon as he came to his senses, Manoboso began to lay the blame of his failure upon his wife, saying to his guest, Namesho, it is this woman relation of yours. She is the cause of my not succeeding. She has made me a worthless fellow. Before I took her I also could get raccoons. Here, said he, this is the way we do, and left in disdain, carrying his bill high in the air and stepping over the door-sill, as if it were not worthy to be touched by his toes. After this visit, Manoboso was sitting in the lodge one day with his head down. He heard the wind whistling around it, and thought that by attentively listening he could hear the voice of someone speaking to him. It seemed to say to him, Great chief, why are you sorrowful? Am I not your friend, your guardian spirit? Manoboso immediately took up his rattle, and without rising from the ground where he was sitting, began to sing the chant which has at every close the refrain of, wa le li when he had dwelt for a long time on this particular chant, which he had been used to sing in all his times of trouble, he laid his rattle aside and determined to fast. For this purpose he went to a cave which faced the setting sun and built a very small fire, near which he lay down, first telling his wife that neither she nor the children must come near him till he had finished his fast. At the end of seven days he came back to the lodge, pale and thin, looking like a spirit himself, and as if he had seen spirits. His wife had, in the meantime, dug through the snow and got a few of the roots called truffles. These she boiled and set before him, and this was all the food they had or seemed likely to obtain. When he had finished his light repast, Manoboso took up his station in the door to see what would happen. As he stood thus, holding in his hand his large bow, with a quiver well filled with arrows, a deer glided past along the far edge of the prairie, but it was miles away and no shaft that Manoboso could shoot would be able to touch it. Presently a cry came down the air, and, looking up, he beheld a great flight of birds, but they were so far up in the sky that he would have lost his arrows in a vain attempt among the clouds. Still he stood watchful and confident that some turn of luck was about to occur, when there came near to the lodge two hunters, who bore between them on poles a bear, and it was so fine and fat a bear that it was as much as the two hunters could do with all their strength to carry it. As they came to the lodge door, one of the hunters asked if Manoboso lived thereabout. "'He is here,' answered Manoboso. "'I have often heard of you,' said the first hunter, "'and I was curious to see you. "'But you have lost your magical power. "'Do you know whether any of it is left?' Manoboso answered that he was himself in the dark on the subject. "'Suppose you make a trial,' said the hunter. "'What shall I do?' asked Manoboso. "'There is my friend,' said the hunter, pointing to his companion who with me owns this bear which we are carrying home. 
Suppose you see if you can change him into a piece of rock. Very well, said Manaboso, and he had scarcely spoken before the other hunter became a rock. Now change him back again, said the first hunter. That I can't do, Manaboso answered. There my power ends. The hunter looked at the rock with a bewildered face. What shall I do? he asked. This bear I can never carry alone, and it was agreed between my friend there and myself that we should not divide it till we reached home. Can't you change my friend back, Manaboso? I would like to oblige you, answered Manaboso, but it is utterly out of my power. With this, looking again at the rock with a sad and bewildered face, and then casting a sorrowful glance at the bear, which lay by the door of the lodge, the hunter took his leave, bewailing bitterly at heart the loss of his friend and his bear. He was scarcely out of sight when Manaboso sent the children to get red willow sticks. Of these he cut off as many pieces of equal length as would serve to invite his friends among the beasts and birds to a feast. A red stick was sent to each one, not forgetting the woodpecker and his family. When they arrived they were astonished to see such an abundance of meat prepared for them at such a time of scarcity. Manabozho understood their glance and was proud of a chance to make such a display. Akawazi, he said to the oldest of the party, the weather is very cold and the snow lasts a long time. We can kill nothing now but small squirrels, and they are all black. I have sent for you to help me eat some of them. The woodpecker was the first to try a mouthful of the bear's meat, but he had no sooner begun to taste it than it changed into a dry powder and set him coughing. It appeared as bitter as ashes. The moose was affected in the same way, and it brought on such a dry cough as to shake every bone in his body. One by one, each in turn joined the company of coughers, except Manaboso and his family, to whom the bear's meat proved very savory. But the visitors had too high a sense of what was due to decorum and good manners to say anything. The meat looked very fine, and being keenly set and strongly tempted by its promising look, they thought they would try more of it. The more they ate, the faster they coughed, and the louder became the uproar, until Manaboso, exerting the magical gift which he found he retained, changed them all into squirrels. And to this day the squirrel suffers from the same dry cough which was brought on by attempting to sup off of Manaboso's ashen bearer's meat. And even after this transformation, when Manaboso lacked provisions for his family, he would hunt the squirrel, a supply of which never failed him, so that he was always sure to have a number of his friends present in this shape at the banquet. The rock into which he changed the hunter, thus becoming possessed of the bear, and laying the foundations of his good fortune, ever remained by his lodge door, and it was called the game bag of Manaboso, the mischief-maker. End of chapter 2 Part 2